Learning to pray is learning to engage in the realm of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is everywhere working in the world, but when we pray and focus ourselves in, we are particularly paying attention to the realm where Holy Spirit is operating. We have realized that we need to learn what does it mean when the New Testament speaks of being filled by Holy Spirit, being led by Holy Spirit, walking by Holy Spirit, listening and discerning from Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is spoken of in the New Testament as the great gift of the gospel, the very promise of the Father. And oftentimes, we in our discipleship have learned that Holy Spirit is kind of an optional, mysterious, behind the scenes kind of operating system and not a person to be lived with and enjoyed. So, welcome. Come on in if you want. Image of God in you, amen. All right, we are gonna be in uh, Acts chapter two, if you wanna open up there. It's in your handout as well. Acts chapter two, verses one through four. Would you mind standing with me as we open up and read God's word? All right. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they, that is, the disciples, followers of Jesus, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We're going to be talking today about Holy Spirit as fire. Okay, Holy Spirit as fire. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we bless you that you are here, you are among us, wherever two or more gather in your name, there you are. And so we ask you, would you be pleased to walk among us in power today? Would you minister to us? Would you help us? Would you meet us in our weakness and bring us strength? Would you draw us out of darkness and into your light? There are way more here in this room than I can possibly know in the intricacies of their heart and lives that they have walked in today. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you, we open ourselves to you. Would you speak? Would you meet us in only the ways that you can? In our insufficiencies, in our sin, even in the places of our hearts and lives where we're just afraid to even acknowledge we have passed through today or this week. Draw us near into your presence. Meet us, minister to us, help us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you can take your seats. Holy Spirit 
as fire. In this series, you'll remember, we're taking the different metaphors that Scripture uses when speaking of Holy Spirit, because oftentimes that's the precise way that the Scriptures use uh, language to try and describe Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because each of them are experiential. Fire is something to be experienced in its warmth, its brightness. Breath is something to be experienced as coming into our lungs, the life that we get from Holy Spirit. Water is the cleansing and satisfying of our thirst, talking about last week. Jesus told his disciples to wait when he left them. When he ascended to the right hand of God, he said, wait until you have received power from on high. And what we just read in Acts 2 is them being faithful to what Jesus had commanded them to do, to wait in prayer for God. You can imagine the position that they're in, thinking, he told us to wait, said the power's going to come. And so they all had gathered together and they were praying. They were doing the only thing that they knew what to do, to cry out and ask God's help. You can imagine the confusion, the wondering, what in the world, how will we even know? And so they prayed until they received power from heaven. The time that this happens is the season of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. From the Old Testament scriptures, it was a festival given to the Israelite people to celebrate the harvest. It had become commonly um, paired with celebrating the, the giving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai when Moses came down to give the people the covenant that God would make with them. He gave them the law so that they could know what is life with God like, contradictory to life apart from God. It's the purpose of God's giving of the laws to say, this is what life with me looks like. This is how you walk with me. This is how you be my people set apart from the nations. Then suddenly a violent wind blows through the room. We'll talk about Holy Spirit as wind next week, but then fire appears over the heads of Jesus' followers, and it appears like tongues that are lit on fire, and then they split and divide over the heads of all the different people in the room. It's thought that something like 120 were gathered there. It's a room very much like this one. Why is this moment so significant? God's Spirit had always been present and active in the world, but at this moment, a new age begins in salvation history. That's one way of simply saying of God's working in the world, a new chapter has been turned. All of history hinged on the life of Jesus, the eternal Son taking on human flesh to live as a faithful God worshiper among His people to stand in our place and also to manifest God himself to us. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you have seen God. And in his death for sin, being buried in the grave with sin, and being raised as the first indestructible human, the first fruits of the resurrection, he has defeated death. Now, since he has accomplished that, the kingdom of God is here. And all of us can enter into it by turning to follow Jesus. And when we do that, Holy Spirit 
pours into our lives. So the age of the Spirit of God has come, working through the people of God in a way that is totally unique and foreign to believers from the Old Testament. It's not so much a difference in the sense that the Holy Spirit wasn't working in the Old Testament, but that Holy Spirit is working to an altogether different degree in the new. He's been poured out in the world. And what Holy Spirit does in being poured out into the world as fire is that you and I can be cleansed in a way that is altogether different. You see, John the baptizer came with a baptism with water. And this is what he said in Matthew 3.11. I baptize you with water for repentance. This kind of exterior cleansing that showed life with God is something that the people longed for. But then he says, I'm not worthy to remove the sandals of the one who is coming after me and more powerful than I. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And fire. Jesus' baptism is greater than John's baptism because John's baptism could only get skin deep. Jesus' baptism can go all the way through and cleanse and purify us from the heart level. Holy Spirit as fire cleanses us through and through. This is a metaphor that's it's very common to remove the impurities through the heating up of a substance. Not like cleansing the outside of something, but actually melting something down like a precious metal and being able to remove the impurities that rise to the surface so that the, the substance of the thing itself is actually changed. So if you've turned and trusted Christ, you have Holy Spirit within you, not just to hold you over until you go to be with Him after you die or when Jesus comes back, but in a very real way to have the flame of God kindled in your soul, purifying you from the inside out. I think one of the reasons that the tongues of fire appear over the people in the upper room on the day of Pentecost is to show that their very tongues have been purified to proclaim the good news of Jesus to people all around them. This was a very common occurrence in the Old Testament scriptures. In Isaiah 6, what we see is that Isaiah, the prophet, gets this image of God. And he says, who, who are, he sees the glory of God and is humbled. And he thinks, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't stand in your presence. I come from a people of unclean lips. He's humbled at his own sinfulness. He sees the holy beauty of God, the glory of God, and feels inadequate to stand in his presence. And one of the angelic beings takes a coal and brings it and burns his lips and consecrates him. His, his mouth is burned by a flame 
so that he can be purified for the purpose of God. And then God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah steps forward and says, here I am. Send me, I'll go. This is the pattern of what God does among his people to serve his purpose. Holy Spirit as fire, Jesus, the one who can baptize people made in his image, who choose to follow him, can be purified and cleansed in a way that we could never believe in our own power. And you know, last week we talked about Holy Spirit as water can satisfy our desires and how that satisfying of our desires allows us to find our deepest desire in God himself and be freed from all those things that enslave us? Well, Holy Spirit is purifying fire, burns away all of those impurities, all of the residue that we feel so inadequate because of. The shame, the guilt that we feel. Throughout the scriptures, this picture of God's fire is something that communicates God's holiness. In the Old Testament, God's presence is conveyed as fire throughout. When you get close to God, whatever is worldly and contrary to God is burned up. Whatever is dark and apart from His light, hidden from Him, is shined and penetrated by light. All the way back in Genesis 15, Abraham has this dream of God in His presence, and his presence is pictured as a flaming torch. Throughout the Exodus account, we see the burning bush that's on fire but not consumed. And Moses comes over because he's so puzzled. And the bush, out from the bush, God's voice says, Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. The fire of God consumes and purifies and makes holy the ground that Moses is walking on. Then in Exodus 13, there's a pillar of fire that leads God's people out from the presence of Egypt at night so that they could see where he's leading them. And then they get to Mount Sinai and God's presence is poured out over the mountain and fire and lightning and cloud clap forth. In Deuteronomy 5.4, Moses reminds the people that the Lord spoke to you face to face from the fire on the mountain. Okay? Now, God's holiness is communicated as fire because though we oftentimes forget the danger of walking near to God in His presence while trying to live according to the world, ways that are antithetical to God, we all understand naturally the danger of approaching a fire. When we get to the New Testament scriptures, in Jesus we see the fire of God in the apocalyptic book of Revelation in a peculiar way. Revelation 1.14, this is speaking of Jesus. The hair of his head was as white as wool, white as snow, and his Eyes like a fiery flame. Again, in Revelation 19, his eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. Revelation 
Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame. We get this picture Revelation is this apocalyptic literature, and apocalypse means a revealing. It's like the, the curtains were closed, and then we opened them so that we could see through into reality, not into some fantasy, but we're pulling back the curtains of what blinds us day to day in our normal lives to see what's real behind the surface. And what the scriptures say about Jesus is that his eyes are like fiery flames. It's peculiar. The Holy Spirit is this fire. Jesus baptizes us with fire. His eyes are like a fiery flame. Not too long ago, we had a solar eclipse. You remember this? No. Like a month ago. Maybe in 2017. Did we have one in 2017 too? We had two in six years? <laughs> That's the one when Trump looked at it. How did we forget? <laughs> Explains a lot. So, uh, Paul, one of our deacons, was so kind to drop off with my family the solar eclipse glasses. You know, like, he dropped them off, and I was expecting, like, sunshades, right? Like, full-on sunglasses. And they were just like those 3D glasses that you had when you were a kid, like, Burger King, kids meal, you open up the little comic book and suddenly everything's bouncing off the page. And so we put on these glasses, we walk outside and we look up and you could see nothing until you look directly at the sun. And the moon had blocked over the sun, the moon. It's <laughs> an inside joke. Um, the moon was blocking the sun and so you could just see this little quasi-ring. It wasn't a complete solar eclipse, but you could see the edges of it. And to be honest, looking up at it, I was kind of like, meh. Anybody else feel a little disappointed? Everything is pitch black, and then you look up there, and there's this little ring. It's like I expected, like, flames and all this craziness. But what would happen if you looked at that thing without glasses on? I'm not going to repeat that one. You'd go blind. Yeah. You would get, the, the rays of the sun would get to the back of your eyes and would burn like a sunburn on all the nerves in the back of your eye. And it's particularly dangerous with a solar eclipse because your pupils stay wide and allow in way more of the sun's UV rays. You would go blind if you looked at the solar eclipse for very long. When we turn and look to Jesus, we aren't blinded to the physical objects of the world, but to the obscured value structures of the world. You see, when we look to the solar eclipse, we need glasses on. Do you remember what it was like when, when the solar eclipse was going on and you just like looked around? Did anybody else see like when it was right in the middle of the solar eclipse, it, there was this weird hue. Everything felt like an, uh, an Instagram filter had been overlaid on it. And there's something here for us that's powerful. Because we're afraid to look at the solar eclipse because it will blind us to what 
is all around us in the world. We wouldn't be able to see the physical world anymore. But when we look to Jesus, when our eyes meet his eyes of fire, what actually happens is the glasses of the world that have skewed us to seeing him everywhere, and we look at Jesus and we just go, meh. The worldly structures of how our values have been flipped upside down and we think that stuff can satisfy us, we think that we can have one foot in with Jesus and one foot outside of Jesus, it's all just burned away. And sometimes it's quite painful. Sometimes it feels like a burning, but it actually is a kind of healing. The world tells us that we are entitled to live self-centered lives, to even use others to get what we want, walk by those in need and accumulate wealth while our neighbors struggle, and play by the evil structures of the world around us. You see, the gospel actually tells us that we are walking around with spiritual glasses on that don't protect us from danger, they block us to the danger of the world. The fire of Holy Spirit burns away the glasses of the flesh, the world, and the evil one so that we can see Jesus as he really is. And then we can see the world as it really is and us as we really are. Thomas Kelly, an author from a while ago, writes of this experience of seeing the glory of Jesus and what fundamentally happens by the fire of God's presence is we grow in humility. The fire of God burns away all of the self-centeredness, the me-centeredness that God wants to replace with the Jesus-centeredness we were created for. He writes, humility rests upon a holy blindedness, like the blindedness of the one who looks steadily into the sun. For wherever they turn their eyes on earth, there they see only the sun. The God-blinded soul sees not of self, not of personal degradation or of personal eminence, but only the holy will working through them through others, as one objective life and power. Goes on to say, what trinkets we have sought after in life, the pursuit of petty trifles that have wasted our years as we've ministered to the needless enhancements of our own little selves. But the blinding God blots out this self and gives humility and true selfhood as wholly full of Him. The humility of the God-blinded soul endures only so long as we look steadily at the sun. Growth in humility is a measure of our growth in the habit of a God-directed mind. And we are only are near to God when we are exceedingly humble. What Thomas Kelly's telling us is that as we turn our eyes 
to Jesus, the blessing of the blinding that we receive is that we stop seeing ourselves at every turn. That's what needs to get burned away. That's actually what the scriptures called the flesh being burned away. We think, here's the dangerous part, here's why it's so hard. We think that the flesh is serving us. We think that a life built around a successful path according to the ways of the world, okay? So parents raise their kids with every possible privilege and benefit at their disposal so that then they can get into the best college that they can possibly get into so that all of the possibilities are still at their disposal so that they can get the best job that they possibly can so that all the benefits of the world are still at their disposal so that then they can get all the resources and acclaim so that all of their possible joys and benefits and power are at their disposal that that onward and upward ladder is the path of human flourishing is the blindness we weren't created for that Ask anyone who's got to the top of the ladder that you're climbing right now, and they'll tell you if, they're, if they have some sense of sobriety to them. I thought it was the answer, and I can tell now it's not. And so I'm giving all of my money and the rest of my life to acts of charity. Because maybe that's where I'll find it. That's what needs to be burned away in us. That's what the eyes of Jesus do. When you look to Jesus' face and you see his compassion and you see the tears of sorrow over the way the world is and the suffering you've endured and the sin that you're still entangled by, you will change. It's what you were made for. It's what you're longing for. It's what Holy Spirit offers us is to walk into a kind of purified fire so that we can start to be made whole again. It's what Blaise Pascal saw on the evening of November 23rd, 1654, when he simply wrote, Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, Peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He had an encounter that night. And he described it as fire, burning away all those other cares that make us feel like, yeah, Jesus, but also... Jesus, but also... Money, Jesus, but also career success. Jesus, but also grades. Jesus, but also significant other. And those things are good insofar as it's Jesus who gives them to us. Not Jesus plus me finding my own way to compromise so that the world gives them to me. Okay? And here's the beauty. A life wholly surrendered in humility to God withholds nothing from you that is good.
Sometimes we encounter this fire by experience that feels like vision for the first time, whether it's in a church gathering or a personal time of prayer or praise and worship. So many of you have had moments like this where God just feels real. It's like a moment where suddenly you see and your heart is gripped and you think, how could I ever have settled for all those other things? Other times... We see the weight and glory and majesty of God through the fire, not of a vision of Him, but of suffering with Him. It's like the furnace of affliction that the Scriptures talk about. And Hebrews 12 says, to endure suffering as discipline given to us by a loving Father who wants to purify us. Friends, if you want to follow Jesus with both feet, you will suffer. You won't have the outs of suffering that the world offers. You won't be able to numb the pain away with any substance you want. But you will discover the father that you have had the whole time that he is enough, that he is more beautiful than you thought, that he is more powerful than you thought when it gets to the 11th hour and he breaks through with the need that you thought you had that you didn't think he was going to provide for you. Suffering can wake us up from the illusions of glory we so easily believe in comfort and progress and success, and it opens our eyes to see the flaming compassion of Jesus as he's with us. Okay? But it doesn't stop there. It's not just to draw us nearer into his presence and to go both feet in with him. Through the cleansing fire, God is forming Jesus in us so that we would be more useful to God through us. God cleanses us so that we would be consecrated for his purpose. God draws us more into the fire of his presence so that we could be more fitting for his power. You notice what the disciples did when the fire of Holy Spirit came upon them. They didn't just sit around contemplating the ecstasy that they were experiencing. They spoke of the wonders of Jesus. They started talking about how incredible Jesus is. They started pronouncing the truth of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit empowered it. You notice it said in other languages. Okay, there's debate about what exactly the scriptures mean here. I think it means because people from all nations that are in Jerusalem for this Feast of Weeks come to hear these disciples in their own languages. God purifies them through the fire of Holy Spirit so that they can speak of Jesus and be useful conduits of his power. Holy Spirit is the fire of God's presence that purifies us from the worldliness we are so tempted towards by our fears and anxieties so that we would see Jesus is as glorious and powerful and good as he really is, but it cannot stop there. It must pivot 
into an all-of-life surrender that speaks of the wonders of Jesus and gives oneself away in sacrificing love for neighbor, for church, for people around us. And that can happen through you. If you have Holy Spirit, simply through regular, repeated, continual resubmission and surrendering of yourself and your life to Jesus, He will transform you and do more through you in the lives of the people around you than you ever thought possible. I mean, that's why I got to where I got to. The reason that I'm a pastor is because after about a year of following Jesus in college, I had seen people meet Jesus in mind-blowing ways. And I knew it wasn't because of me. It was just me saying like, oh, well, the reason that I'm doing this is because of what Jesus has done in my life. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Well, yeah, if it does that in your life, I want to know more about that Jesus. That's not the Jesus that I've heard of. And people start following him with me said, wait, Jesus, you could use me like that? Okay, would you do that more and more and more? And some of you will be called in that same path of your occupation, being in the church, to build up others so that everyone sees that's God's intent in your life. That you could be one that he uses. That his kingdom could shine and advance through you, and not just through what we commonly call evangelism, though that is a key part of it, and that's what we see here, to speak about Jesus to those who don't yet know him, but also through works like pursuing justice and mercy all around us that can show off the kingdom of Jesus and what its righteousness is like. So when you feel that burning like a fire in your belly at injustice around you as a Jesus follower, that is Holy Spirit. The kind of burning conviction that must act is no longer okay sitting on the sideline, is willing to take on the cost of action in love for others. In fact, there is no love apart from action towards others. And so, if I could wrap up with this simple invitation, okay? This whole year, as we said earlier, we dedicated to learning to pray. And we have encountered the wonders of God's presence in rich ways beyond what we probably thought possible. I've had so many conversations with the people that are part of our church family who have encountered life-giving prayer in the presence of Jesus more than they thought possible. And I praise God for that. That's just what happens when we make ourselves available to the God that's seeking to give himself away to anyone and everyone who comes. But... But that flame will go out if we will not complete the process of why God gives it to us in the first place. 
which is, yes, so that we could be transformed by this fiery flame of glory that is the presence of God that's realer than we ever thought when we just knew Him up here. But it's so that we would go out there with lives of surrender and humility in sacrificial service and love towards others. God transforms us so that we could go out for Him and with Him. We're not cluttered with all of the selfish ambitions that we had before. We're still in the place and context and occupation and major in school most of the time that we were in before, but we're there with a different heart posture. We say, God, what's your purpose here? Not what's my purpose. What do you want to do through me? If I know your will through me and see you work through me, I will be satisfied. And then guess what happens in our experience? In a mysterious way, we feel more whole. We feel more joy. The anxiety that had riddled us when our eyes were staring at ourselves starts to melt away. The flame of warmth that God's presence brings gives us a kind of peace that carries us through difficulty. And what we find is that as we give ourselves away, we find ourselves in God. Amy Carmichael was a missionary, because missionaries are some of our greatest examples of this kind of life that's given over in a very tangible, visible way. There's an abandonment of past life for a going of a new life that is only because of Jesus, okay? All three of our kids, we named after missionaries. We found their lives so compelling. Hudson Taylor, Jim Elliott. <laughs> And uh, TBH, we weren't all that compelled by any of the names of the women missionaries. And so we uh, decided to name Adelaide Amy Duell after Amy Carmichael, okay? A lot of the ones that we knew. Um, and Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India, and she was caring for the orphans of India that were oftentimes at the Hindu temples enslaved into um, the, the sexual cults that would be used there to worship the gods. She would free them and raise them in orphanages. And she took them to a goldsmith. And they're watching as the goldsmith is heating up the gold and then cooling down the gold, and then heating up the gold and cooling down the gold. And she asked in front of the kids, how do you know when the gold is purified? And he answered, when I can see my face in it, then it is pure. Friends, that's what the New Testament says God's refining of us is for. That there would be less of our face in us and more of the face of Jesus. That we would be so purified by his presence, that the power of his glory would shine through us. That's what Holy Spirit as fire invites us to. And so as we pray now, 
I want us to be able to re-surrender, re-dive in with both feet, the kind of abandon that says, Lord, would you help us to be wholly submitted to you? Even, Lord, we feel like it's been a while. I feel like it's been a while since I've encountered you. Help us, Holy Spirit.